Hey everybody, welcome out to Pikapi Podcast. This is, if you're just joining us, a Pokemon anime podcast focusing on each individual episode. We started with uh, number one, though you may not believe it because all our episodes are currently down. Um, but we're getting them back up slowly. It's going to happen, I swear. I'm working on it. Um, but right now we're on episode number 272, Johto Photo Finish. We're finishing up the last uh, battle that Ash participates in, uh, spoilers, <laughs> of the Pokemon uh, Johto League Silver Conference. And there's a lot crammed into this little episode, so many things to say. I, I should let you all know beforehand, I thought I needed a break and a distraction today from all the stuff that's been going on with my house, the the epic saga and tragic tale that is my furnace. Uh, so I went to see Moana, and it's a great movie, uh, and this Saturday, it is now 8.51 as I start recording and I have been crying since about 2.30 p.m., so I might be a little emotional. It's a good movie, though. Like, really, you guys all gotta go see it. Peak Happy Podcast is brought to you by PokePress. And Stephen, he went over to London for the European International uh, Championships. Lucky dude. Oh my gosh, it looks so fun. And he just put up a video on YouTube, and there's going to be more to come. But, like, you should check them out. Like, how awesome is this? I mean, for you listeners um, from Great Britain, like, maybe it's a different feel. Like, maybe maybe you're there at the moment. This is your home, after all. But for me, who did not get to go, it's amazing. London is a long plane ride away, and like I said, it looks so fun. Like, one of the first things uh, he shows in the video is this mosaic, like, that's 30 feet tall of Pikachu, like a Pikachu Pokemon card. And it looks really super amazing. And then there's, like, a prize wall where it's, like, if you win uh, your match, you get a point and you can cash in your points for prizes. Like, I am now super motivated to up my competitive game because I want a plushie from that wall. This video is the best I can get next to being there myself. Like, I'm really glad he's putting these videos up. And, and I hope everybody has such an amazing time. Like, I really enjoy hearing about these events, even though I don't play competitively. Uh, I mean, until now. Now I'm going to. I want the plushy. But for you people who've worked really hard on your teams and, and, you know, have waited and got to go, this must be so fun and such a wonderful thing. Um, You can check out that video by visiting PokePress on YouTube. You can also follow PokePress and the many, many other things they do by visiting pokepress.blogspot.com. Like I said, definitely check it out for that Pikachu mosaic. Like, that that looks so amazing. And to see it in person, like, just the sheer size of the thing, definitely worth seeing. Um, but now let's get into our episode. Um, like I said 272, Johto Photo Finish. We left off with dueling flamethrowers, Lazikin versus Charizard, 
comparison versus Ash. This is the last Pokemon each has, and the whole match comes down to this. And the flamethrowers were pretty much equal, and when the smoke clears, both trainers decide they need to come up with a new tactic. Well, Charizard can fly, but you know, Blaziken can leap buildings in a single bound, so that extra maneuverability of Charizard's only gets it so far. They dodge each other's attacks, Dragon Rage, Flamethrower, and then they don't dodge attacks, matching Flamethrowers, matching punches. None of the attacks are doing much damage. The Pokémon are very equally matched. Fire Spin, Flamethrower, like, just keep them coming, boys. The crowd is certainly getting their money's worth today, and I love it when Pokémon matches have a really blow-for-blow volley going. Like, no one-hit KOs in this match. Or, I mean, at least in this round. And it's also a good matchup, because there's a lot of pride on the line, but not animosity. It's really sportsmanship and admiration for the opponent, from both Charizard and Blaziken's point of view, as well as Ash and Harrison's. I love that. Um, despite a quick attack from Blaziken, Charizard is faster. Uh, dodges and then whacks its opponent with its tail, then grabs it and takes to the air for seismic toss. Oh, Blaziken, this is usually a finishing move. And it looks finished. Everyone is cheering. It looks like Ash just won the match. But when the ref walks over to see if Blaziken is unable to battle, suddenly its eyes pop open. Night of the Living Dead. It rises. Blaziken is still in this match and kind of resents that y'all counted it out. Brock apparently had better eyes than the rest of us. He says Blaziken fired off a flamethrower and it slowed down Seismic Toss, reducing some of the damage. So now both Pokémon are back to fighting, and it's a fury of attacks. Flamethrowers, quick attacks, blaze kicks, and that last one really hurt Charizard. Ash can say don't give up all he wants. There's only so much Charizard can do. He gets to his feet. He's not out yet, but, but he's running a little ragged. Blaziken, too, though, is, is not looking, you know, so tip-top shape. Charizard sends a Dragon Rage back at Flamethrower. The two attacks collide and send smoke everywhere. And when it clears, both Pokemon are in the dirt, trying to get up. The trainers call out, like, Come on, all you have to do is stand! Stand and hold it together a few seconds longer than the other guy. You can do it. And both Pokemon do make it to their feet. But then, the, the second he tries to move, Charizard falls. He passes out, hits the ground, and faints. And Ash is out of Pokemon. Harrison goes on to the next round. But Ash stops here. He's crushed. He worked so hard. And another league attorney where Ash didn't win. Another time for all the haters to be like, but Ash didn't win. Oh gosh, how many seasons, how many years, and he never wins a league. People are like, oh, it's so unrealistic that he never wins. It's so stupid that he never wins. It's just a marketing thing, and like, it's really dumb. And the, the people should just make him win already. And I, I hate that so much. Because I'm older than this series. And when you're 30 and you fail more auditions than not and you work at a job that you don't really like, 
and your house is falling apart. <laughs> and your body is starting to tell you that it's not young and cute anymore and it wants to slow down. It really hurts. If people are going to make fun of Ash for not being the best in the world at something, for not achieving one specific milestone that they think he should have, that isn't even a qualifier for being the world's greatest Pokemon master. After all this time that the series has been going, if they're going to criticize and ridicule Ash for not achieving that, then why should I, who have been at this even longer, like even bother being alive? Why should Pavarotti, one of the world's greatest opera singers, be proud? Like, it took him lots longer than Ash to get on top. Hey, what about Hendrix? He didn't just miraculously become the world's greatest guitar player at 10. We work so hard at things, and all anyone asks is, why aren't you a Pokemon master yet? Like, why do we do this to ourselves? The people criticizing the series or making fun of Ash over this the ones that do that the hardest are usually the same ones that went out into the world full of dreams and found the world was really hard and now they live with their parents and make blogs and YouTube videos that make fun of everyone else because they couldn't do it themselves. Why do we do that? As if there's a time limit, like being a Pokemon master only matters if Ash is 10, that it's less of an accomplishment if it happens when he's 80? Like... There's a reason it's always the old master sitting at the top of the hill to bestow knowledge on the seekers. It, it takes time. And when you focus on all that you haven't done by some arbitrary deadline, you miss all the accomplishments and all the growth that went on in the meantime. Don't tell me Ash hasn't had an amazing life, that he hasn't accomplished more than most people ever dream of doing. And for me, and for you, like, maybe if we spent a little more time appreciating all the cool things we've gotten to do, and our legitimate skills, and all the things we've accomplished so far on our journeys, maybe we'd have the courage to go a little further into those unknown regions. Because we all have Orange Island's trophies on our shelves. And if we keep trying, we're going to get more. Why should we ever feel like we're dumb or we're failures for not getting a certain kind of trophy by a certain time? Because, yeah, Ash hasn't won a tournament, a, a league tournament, but he has won a league. He has a trophy to prove it. And he probably left a bunch of stunned office workers in his wake at the Indigo League registration because someone had to verify those badges. And someone had to maintain the computer system and the records, and all of them are telling Ash's legend because none of them have seen Cinnabar Island's gym badge come through in their lifetime. And no one ever comments on that. Every last person I talk to who, you know, makes fun of Ash not winning a league and why can't he do this and it's so dumb of the writers, nobody remembers that Ash has a gym badge that nobody's gotten in like 40 years. Even Gary didn't get that one. You want to pretend the Orange Islands League doesn't count? Well, fine, but still. You want to discount all the amazing things that Ash has pulled off in his life. Because he has an amazing life. Because there are still a few people out there in the world who can beat him. And occasionally he fights these people in a tournament. 
look at all the champions that we've seen in the anime, the, the regional champions. None of them are children. None of them are depicted as being in the same age range as Ash. And that's real life. That's believable. How many tournaments do you think it took Cynthia before she finally won one? And how long after that do you think it took her to get to become the champion of Sinnoh? I guarantee you she did not walk into that position as a 10-year-old. And Cynthia, Lance, Alder, Diantha, like none of them, not a single, single one of them is the best in the world. Close. Being a regional champion is pretty darn on top when it comes to Pokemon battling, but none of them are the world's greatest Pokemon master. To me, the most realistic thing about this series is that Ash keeps getting better and better, and he's still not the best. Is his goal is a lot bigger than winning a tournament anyway. And while Ash might not yet be the world's greatest Pokemon master like no one ever was, you'll have a hard time convincing me that by some of these later regions, he is not a Pokemon master. That he has achieved a level of mastery over the art of Pokemon training. And if you're out there thinking that you're going to achieve your greatest of great dreams in less time than it's taking Ash, then you're in for some hard truths. And what are you going to do if you hit 20 years and you're not the best? Or forget that, if you hit 20 years and you still haven't won your metaphorical tournament, when you have to face your friends and family or even strangers and tell them about your goals in life, and everything they say sounds like, well, why aren't you a champion yet? Are you going to just give up? Because you shouldn't. It's not... It's hard. We all know it's hard. Life is hard. If you keep going, you improve. And you get closer, and... Even if you don't, even if you start to think that you've been doing this so long, and you're never going to get where you want to be in your lifetime, that's not a bad thing. If along the way, your journey was good, and you improved, and you had amazing experiences and changed the lives of people around you. Because if Pokemon is teaching us one thing, it's not actually about the destination. <laughs> it's called a Pokemon journey. And it's the journey part of the whole thing that's important, not the place you end up. Being the world's greatest Pokemon master doesn't mean anything if you didn't have a long journey full of growth. And for me, I'm a good 10 years older than this franchise. Like, not just the anime, the franchise. If Ash is dumb for not having made it, then I have no excuses. Because I'm not the world's greatest actor or, or writer. I don't make a living. That's not how I make my living. And it's going to be <laughs> a long time before... I'm really sitting pretty on that dream. And yeah, I worry sometimes that I might never get to where I thought I would be. I've been at this so long that some of my dreams have changed. Like Gary's did, and that's fine too. But I've still gotten to do some amazing things. And gotten my League Trophy and Battle Frontier 
awards. And just in the time I've started this podcast, I've mentioned a couple times, I felt really awful back then. I lived in an apartment with mice and bedbugs and cockroaches, and I felt so horrible. And I wasn't doing hardly any writing or performing or anything that felt like it had value in the way the rest of the world would consider that. And I bet a lot of people would have looked at that life I had like she failed. Even now, most people look at podcasting like it's a hobby. But, you know, five and a half years later, this podcast has grown to be something that matters to people. Whether just a few seconds in a day to laugh or something a bit more. It's one way my performing can reach a lot of people. And that awful apartment with the vermin, I don't live there anymore. I moved to a better apartment where my neighbors didn't throw rocks through my windows. And now I have my own house. And it's falling apart. <laughs> but it is mine. And I'll slowly fix it up and make it really nice. So that when I finally move on to something even better, the next person will have an easier time of it. And this podcast will grow, and my other ones. And I'll finally finish my book. And I'll start getting more acting jobs that pay real money. And things will keep getting better, and I'll keep getting closer and closer to my dreams. But none of that's going to happen overnight. None of that did happen overnight. And there's still going to be plenty of times where I have to stand in the arena and accept the fact that I lost the battle and that this is where the championship matches end for me. I have to go back and challenge a new region and see if I can get a little farther, a little better. But if I let myself believe that not winning here, that that failure is somehow a horrible thing, that I am somehow less because it took me this long to make it here and that I shouldn't try and keep going and be grateful that I made it this far and did so well and learned so much. That's the real failure. And I don't know what all your guys' dreams are or what the things you're struggling with are. Watch Ash because he's disappointed. He's so disappointed, but this isn't the end for him. And he's going to move on. He's going to be okay. And he's going to keep getting better. And he's not going to win just because it's great for the story. He's going to win. Because enough time has gone by and enough lessons learned. That we're going to believe that he's one of the best in the world. So don't give up on whatever you're doing. Keep going. Because out in the world we like to make fun of each other and say it's not good enough. Or, you know, you missed your chance, and you didn't. Like, Ash here, every single hang-up, he had it in to go. Like, he'd never fought an official match with strict rules. He never fought a six-on-six. Six. He couldn't get over his inferiority complex with Gary. He couldn't get Charizard to listen to him, and he really didn't know how to train Pokemon to overcome specific physical weaknesses, like... He's overcome every last one of those things in the Silver Conference here. Every last thing that held him back in Indigo, he has conquered. And now he has newer, higher obstacles to focus on. 
and would you really try to tell me that that's not good enough for you? Or that that's not great writing? That he finishes off the original series, having risen above just about every obstacle that stood in his way at the beginning of the show? The Gash lost the match here. Yeah, that sucks. You want him to win. We all want to win. And it hurts to be so close and yet so far. But even so, as Delia and Professor Oak say, it was a great match, wasn't it? Um, on a less serious note, I gotta say, it takes a lot out of Charizard's tough guy image to see him with spiral fainted eyes. Like, that's right, Charizard, I know you want to look like Rage Incarnate, but we watched a whole series with you. We remember that sometimes you're a huge goofball and full of fail. Never forget. And also, what town is Harrison from? Like, nobody knows. Silvertown? Little Root? Maybe he moved around a lot growing up. Like, maybe Harrison considers his hometown to be Little Root, but his actual birthplace or whatever is Silvertown, and he just hasn't bothered with the paperwork. I don't know. Um, anyway, after the fact, uh, Ash has to say goodbye to Squirtle. He's got to go home to the Squirtle squad. And Officer Jenny needs to get as far away from Brock as possible. Brock's swooning hasn't shown up a lot on screen, but but if Officer Jenny has been hanging around with Squirtle, then she has been a trooper for putting up with Ash and his friends. Uh, Charizard, too, has to get back to the Charisific Valley. And I love that both of them made it here. Like, it's not surprising at all that they would want to, especially that, you know, Squirtle you know, would want to or still considers himself part of the team. And we're lucky it can leave the firefighters from time to time. Charizard is something that pulls at my heart just a little more, though, because, well, remember why it left. It, it pretty much thought it could be stronger training in the Charisific Valley than training with Ash. And at the time, that was kind of true in multiple senses. Hard as that episode was, you know, to get through, now, though, Charizard will still get a particular training with the other Charizard that he can't get with Ash, and it's something Charizard feels he needs right now. But we saw here that the training he did get from Ash, and that discipline that he still holds close and still values, and still gets to some degree every time he and Ash um, team up or talk, he can't get it in the valley. It's something he can only get from a human, and especially only from Ash. And that's why, despite being gone all the time, he still considers himself on Ash's team. It's not like Charizard is doing Ash some huge favor by coming here. There are opponents in Ash's world that Charizard can't beat. There are Pokémon that are not a Charizard to fight against. And there are things that Ash is learning that Charizard isn't and won't learn if he never leaves the valley. And I like seeing that on display. Like, the confirmation that it was right for the two of them to split up when they did, and that the distance and the reunions are both making them stronger. You could say the same for Squirtle, because that this is also true. It's just, you know, Squirtle didn't kind of break Ash's heart over the issues. Uh, Mom and Professor Oak have to go home, too. After all, their worlds don't stop for Ash and Gary. They have houses to maintain, careers to focus on. Mr. Mime and Tracy miss them. 
so they say goodbye, but, you know, we'll see them soon. The boys are coming straight home after this anyway. Meanwhile, Team Rocket, uh, the struggles of small business owning, they cornered the market on souvenirs. Um, everybody's coming to them for badges and pins, but there's none to sell. The order didn't come in. <laughs> Do what Star Wars did, sell empty boxes. <laughs> um, but yeah, Team Rocket, they're in a bind. If the merchandise doesn't come in soon, what are they going to do? It's rough. What's also rough? Losing. Which is what happens to Harrison. Like, sheesh, people are going to hate on Ash. Harrison is clearly older and has been at this longer. He fights his next match and does well, but ultimately his last Pokemon, Houndoom, falls. And that is the end of the road. The announcer postulates that maybe if Harrison could have used his Blaziken, things might have been different. But he didn't have it on his team for this match. He thought Blaziken needed the extra rest, and it and Charizard, you know, they went at it hard in their match. So how could he risk his friend's health? Now Ash feels kind of bad. Later that night, when Harrison is by the lake, sitting at what I'm going to start calling introspection rock, Ash and company walk over and apologize. And before we get into that, we have a half moon. When Gary sat out here at the start of the tournament, it was a full moon. And not that this is super important, I'm just interested at how much detail this series uh, puts into having a slightly believable timeline, considering how much of it clearly cannot follow the same rules as the existence you and I live in. The moon takes approximately the same amount of poke days to go through a cycle. The earth still revolves on an axis and is able to see the sun as it goes around and around and around. But just how many poke days it takes for that earth to revolve around the sun and whether or not rotation around the sun is what they're considering a year and whether or not set number of years is actually how they're measuring age, or if even the passage of time has any bearing on a person's physical growth into an adult at all. All these things are still in question. Who wants to get hyper nerdy and talk about age and Pokeworld's moon rotation? Like, we'll plot out star charts and everything. Uh, but not today. <laughs> Anyway, Harrison reports that Blaziken is doing fine. What a relief. And a good lesson for Ash on the long game of the tournament. Remember, that's a skill that he's been building here, specifically in this season. Because despite what the games make you do against the Elite Four, you can't come into this with only six high-level Pokémon. Situations like this, like, and the one where Kingler saved some Voltorb, like, you know, what are you going to do if one of those six can't fight? You need somebody else to fill out the team. And I'm sure Harrison's realizing his team shouldn't have had a weak link. There shouldn't have been a question of if he used Blaziken, could he have won? He should have had another team member just as talented and high level to help out. He needed to pull together individual teams of six, but then his team as the entire available roster also needed to pull together. He needs the powerhouses and the heavy hitters, the speedsters, the walls, the wild cards, and he needs more than just one of each. So he's got some new things to focus on for the next time. And there will be a next time. Harrison knows just where he wants to go. Kanto. 
He's heard a lot about Professor Oak at home. I mean, the guy is world famous. Um, and a colleague of Harrison's own hometown professor, Professor Birch. That guy inspired Harrison to leave home, see new places and people, have new experiences, learn about Pokemon from holding them and meeting them in person. And now Harrison wants to meet the guy who inspires his own mentor. He encourages Ash to broaden his horizons too and check out the Hoenn region. And Ash is like, new Pokemon, I'm so on board. Um, but into all this discussion breaks a scream. All the kids run over to see what it is. A couple of girls are spooked by what appear to be ghosts haunting a building. But the kids have seen enough ghost Pokemon to know that's probably just what it is. Ash calls out Noctowl, reveals the spooks for what they are, and suddenly Gary breaks on the scene like, Ash, what's wrong? I thought I heard a scream. Gary, you are following these kids, downright stalking them from the bushes. Admit it. Every chance you can. Like, you do. It's like, no, you won't ask, like, hey, can I hang out with you guys this week? Or, or even come traveling with you for a bit, since we seem to be close by. But you'll just kind of tag along behind until there's trouble. And then it's like, Ash, I heard screaming. I have to blow my cover. Are you okay? People skills, boy. We're going to work on this. Anyway, Gary realizes the mischievous are looking for something. And so the kids follow the Pokemon to see what's up. And, and, you know, see if maybe something's wrong they can help with. And it turns out another Mistrevious has been trapped under a tree. Its friends heard it crying and went looking for their hurt friend. And now the kids are here, so they all help with lifting the fallen trunk off the Pokemon. Even Togepi helps. Um, and finally, Mistrevious is freed. Gary then runs over and gathers it in its arms, makes sure it's okay. We learned this way back in the Oak Corral episode, but Gary... For all his attitude suggested, really loves Pokemon. And he is a kind soul at heart. He's just got some personal problems getting in the way of that. And it's so nice to see him here being his real self, like happy and loving and who cares what other people think of me and and hugging Pokemon, <laughs> helping people and not being haughty or worried about his reputation. Like, he saved the Silver Conference torch, and nobody even knows, and he doesn't care that Ash got the glory. Like, all that matters now is Mistrevious is okay. Well, anyway, Gary comments that the Mistrevious don't usually come this far. Uh, they actually live a lot further up the mountain, but were probably frightened by all the commotion of the Silver Conference. It's disrupting their lives a little. And Ash is impressed by Gary's knowledge. A and then... <laughs> no, yeah, I know more than you because I'm great and you're a loser. No, Gary's just like, yeah, there's so much more to learn, though. I love learning about Pokemon because I'm actually a huge nerd and now I'm going to be who I really am. I've learned so much and I want to learn more. I want to research and read books with lots of words and no pictures. Like, he goes on to detail all the random things he's learned on his journey, specifically weird evolutions. And you almost got a Magikarp point, Gary. That's the second time you've been just a micro frame too slow to earn a fishy point. But Magikarp does not look at all like its evolution. Um, and then there's the Remoraid Octillery. What's up with that? Tyrogue and its branched evolutions. And then the Motherload for evolution goodness, Eevee. Like when Sylveon was discovered, Gary probably lost his little mind. 
Why wasn't he in Kalos? Like, I just picture him becoming, like, this crazy cat lady, settling down in a house full of Eevees and being like, which one is this going to evolve into? Oh, wow, now that's new. I got to write a paper. Like, the entire world of Pokemon is exciting and full of wonder. But evolution specifically captures Gary's imagination, and so he drops the bomb. He's dropping out of the Pokemon battling. He's going to become a researcher. And this is the last competition he'll participate in. Why do we not have a series focusing on Gary and his life crisis? Why does all his big stuff happen off-screen? But this is amazing. Gary went from someone who felt like a failure because he and Ash both happened to fish out half of a Pokeball. Someone who couldn't feel good about themselves unless he was the best and everyone else looked up to him. Someone who made other people feel bad about themselves to hide how insecure he felt. He's gone from that to someone who can lose and not think it's a big deal. And to someone who can find what really makes them happy and chase it even if it means starting back at the beginning. Even if it means he never steps out of his grandfather's shadow and that the world may never see him as his own separate and super awesome person. Like, he's always going to be the younger Professor Oak. Like, Professor Oak invented the Pokedex, or at least, at least, like, contributed to over half of the information in there. He redefined so much about Pokemon. He's also a famous poet, and he's, like, the only professor in Kanto who isn't crazy. Like, what on earth is Gary going to do in his life that's going to top that? And even if he does, even if he becomes somehow so super good at researching and science and, and, you know, finds a discovery that manages to equal or even overshadow all the stuff his grandfather has done, in the history books and the textbooks, it's always going to say, and yeah, he's the grandson of the famous Professor Oak. Gary is never going to stand fully separate and alone. Gary is always going to have to struggle with making his own name for himself. And if he gets to learn about Pokemon, he's cool with that. And if Ash goes on to be a great Pokemon master and achieves his dreams and the world lots his name, Gary's going to be so happy for him. And Ash can keep both halves of the Pokeball and go on his merry way. And Gary's okay with that. And having said this, Gary leaves. Like, gotta go. Bye. And Ash is stunned. Around him, no one notices. Like, Brock and Misty are like, this makes so much sense. Like, finally, he figured himself out. And Harrison's like, yeah, impressive. Probably just like his gramps. Because remember, we just found out that Harrison is, kind of idolizes Professor Oak, the senior. And Ash, he spent his whole life with beating Gary as a major driving goal. Now what? Like, that's kind of gone. And with it, what? Are they not rivals anymore? Are they not friends? If Gary takes this away, are they anything to each other? Does anything connect them? Is that friendship lost? Was that all Ash ever was? Someone to beat, and now that Gary doesn't have to, it's over? Is that all Gary was to him, and now that Ash has beat him, does he just move on and leave Gary in the past? Well, we'll have to talk about that later, because there's one more match in these championships. John Dixon, the guy who just beat Harrison, he went on to win the tournament. 
and he gets a big honking trophy. The crowd cheers. Yay! John Dixon of Central Cherrytown. We don't actually know where that is. Maybe it's in Johto. Maybe it's not. New unexplored region, perhaps? John here gives us the chance to deal with a question put to the blog uh, by Sakoshi's Pikachu. And this is like truly such an interesting question. And it's definitely on my list of special episodes I really want to break down and go into super hyper detail when I have more time. And it's a comment from way back when Prima showed up um, talking about kind of the Elite Four and champions and anime versus games and like how well those things line up. And it's kind of multiple questions. It's a bit long, but I'm going to read parts of it. I did answer a bit on the blog. You're all welcome to join in. Um, let's see. It says, So far we've seen the champion from Hoenn, Sinnoh, Unova, and Kalos, which respectively are Wallace, Cynthia, Adler, and Diantha. Kanto's and Johto's champions were not shown. I mean, we have seen an unknown trainer win the Indigo League and John Dixon, um, Kushia, win the Johto League. But before their winning, should there have been a current champion like in the other regions? If Gary, blue-green, um... You know, differently from what occurs in the games, was not the champion, and Lance is already a member of Kanto's Elite Four, who could be the champion from each of those regions? Despite the fact that Lance is the champion in Gold Silver and Heart Gold Soul Silver games, I don't think that in the anime this is valid, because that would mean he is, at the same time, a member from one Elite Four and a champion from another. How would that work? I mean, if a new challenger emerges in each region, he won't be able to be at both places at the same time. What's your opinion on this? And he does go on to kind of bring on some more information and also, you know, confirm that Lance is um, considered a champion in the anime too. But says, however, the problem still remains because how can he be a champion and a member of the Elite Four at the same time? It could be possible, but that would be weird. Um, another problem that I see is if Lorelai, Bruno, and Agatha were confirmed as members of the Elite Four and Koga is just a gym leader in the series... Does that mean that Will and Karen will never be able to exist in the Pokemon anime and that Koga will never enter the Elite Four? And this is such a fun topic to talk about and discuss, and then also such a frustrating topic for literally the same reason. Like, it's so fun to speculate about because we only have about half of the answers <laughs> confirmed as of yet. So really, however you make it work in your head, like, you can do that. And there are all sorts of amazing theories that, like, could totally be true. How should we know? I, I've read a couple fanfics that have tried to answer this exact question. And, you know, some of them I'm a bit more on board with than others. But it's like, there's nothing to tell them they're wrong. But it's also a bit frustrating because, as I've mentioned, like, I am, I like my canon to be worked out and to make sense and be linear. So, like, you know, the fact that Ash is still 10 is a bit problematic for me but you know I've managed to make it work in my head to a way that satisfies me and, and no one shall shake me from it and this is another issue it's like I want to know how the world works why don't you tell me how the world works <laughs> I want to know how Ash is going to achieve his dream which is really silly because you know we don't actually know that Ash even wants to be a Pokemon champion like the Elite Four and the champions are like rock stars to him, but that doesn't necessarily mean he wants to be one. He wants to be the world's greatest Pokemon master. Like to achieve that, he doesn't have to be the champion. He doesn't even have to win a tournament. He just has to be the best at what he does. So I do have some thoughts and opinions on this, but you know, 
I can't really say this is how it is and why for all of it. I will say, though, the one thing I say all the time. You have to let go of the games. Let them go. The games did form the basis for this show. They do inform a lot that goes on, but they are not the same universe. The games are not even on the same timeline. Like, we've got to finally do that special episode outlining how Gameverse differs from Animeverse. Over the break, between finishing up Electric Tale and starting Adventures, I need to do it. Hopefully, I will. Because every time this issue comes up, I'm like, I gotta do that episode. But, like, between the games and the anime, like, even characters that cross over, they're in different places in their lives. They take different paths. The systems of Pokemon training, the gym system and the champion, the Elite Four, even Pokemon abilities and levels and like anime physics, like everything is subtly different. And since Rogue One is almost upon us, I will dredge up a very nerdy reference. Um, in the old Star Wars expanded universe, there was such a thing as the holocron system for how we worked out the canon. It stipulated that the movies were definitely canon. Anything George Lucas set down was canon. The TV shows, you know, by the same logic, were canon. But the books, comics, and video games were split up into levels. But the basic rule was that anything that appeared in them was canon so long as it didn't contradict something in the movies. So Splinter of the Mind's Eye, most of it not really canon, but super fun nonetheless. Um, Jedi Apprentice, like 90% of that could have been considered canon. If you wanted, you didn't have to. It was a tiered system. As long as it didn't contradict anything in the levels above it, yeah, you could consider it canon. And then one day Lucasfilm decided that since they were bought by Disney, they wanted to do something very ambitious and make everything going forward canon. Every single thing, every book, Every comic, every movie, every TV show, every video game. And so the old expanded universe became a thing called Legend and was no longer considered canon. Obviously, you do not see the two solo twins show up anywhere in The Force Awakens. Um, All the movies and the two TV shows, Clone Wars and Rebels, were canon. And everything new created after that time is also canon. But the Legends, the old EU is not. It's still in print a lot of it, but not canon. But the thing is, and it was said in the announcement, most legends are based in truth. And some things from legends started being brought into canon, like Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, And there are some things in the old legends material that still don't contradict the new continuities, like the Dark Plagueis novel isn't canon, but there's nothing in it yet that contradicts a movie, so why not let that inform your canon, your head canon? Who's gonna stop you? So the Pokemon video games, like Legends, or like the Star Wars EU. Pokemon Troze, same thing. It's all part of this EU. Those things exist in their own universes. And it can inform the canon of the animes, because sometimes those things sync up nicely. And if you want it to be part of your own personal canon, like, go for it. Again, who's going to stop you? That novelization that Takeshi Shudo wrote, same deal. It can definitely inform a lot of your personal canon. 
and you know what's going on in the series and probably does in the minds of a lot of the writers but it's not actually officially canon to the universe of the anime and so when you're trying to break down canonically how the anime universe works you have to throw away everything in the games that contradicts it doesn't apply and one of the things that the anime show has established fairly early on is that if you win you are a champion you're not the champion ash won the orange islands league he's a champion he's in the hall of fame that doesn't mean he gets drake's job Sinnoh League taught us how you get to be the champion. You have to put in a formal challenge request and battle them officially. We saw this go down in Diamond and Pearl. One of the Elite Four members tried it and failed. Poor guy. You'll get her next time. And now, it is possible that winning the championship tournament gets you more than just a shiny trophy. Maybe it gives you the right to challenge the Elite Four or the champion directly and possibly take their job. After all, we don't know what criteria you have to pass before you're allowed to make those formal challenge requests. And it's got to be something, or Cynthia would be swamped with a bunch of hot-headed ten-year-olds who've been on their journey ten days and think they're the best thing ever. Like, Cash would have done it if someone put the idea in his head. You know he would. So, like, you must have to hit a certain level of achievement of some kind, and winning a league tournament, like, that makes sense as a possibility. But just winning the tournament does not make you champion. Nor do we have any confirmation either way that if you win the tournament, you immediately go on to fight the champion or the members of the Elite Four. We also don't know for sure if you have to beat the members of the Elite Four before you are allowed to face the champion. And how that would go down if you have to challenge each one of them individually or you have to do it like the games all in a row. We don't really know yet, and we may never really know until Ash gets there or starts rubbing shoulders more and more with elite trainers. So it's a, an unknown part of the Pokemon world for now. We don't really know a lot about it. And it's more complicated with the knowledge that in the anime verse, some regions just do things differently, like Orange Islands. They have a gym system, but they are clearly doing their own thing over there. And how would you take over Drake's job? Because that whole formally challenging them to a battle situation wouldn't work. Because that's basically what every person who challenges the Orange League does. So the system must be a little different in the same way that, you know, if you beat a gym leader, you don't take over their job. So, like, somebody's got to be in charge of that. The Pokemon League for the Orange Islands has got to have a way where, I don't know, they can fire Drake and hire someone new if they feel like it or whatever. And then, of course, now we have Alola, which I've not made it very far in that game, and the anime has not made it super far either. So I don't know how it's going to get to be towards the end if we still have a champion in the sense that we're used to in the Elite Four and all that. But just from the outset, I can already see that it's doing things just a little bit differently over in Not Hawaii. So now whether these systems are considered part of the Pokemon League structure as a whole, or if they exist outside of it, 
and where, like, Battle Frontier fits into that. This is all new and unexplored territory. And into all that, we drop that issue with Lance. Now, Lance is kind of a special case. He lives smack in that gray area. So does Koga. Because, yeah, Lance goes from Elite Four member to champion, and then Koga goes from gym leader to Elite Four member. In the anime, when we meet Lance, and he pops up a couple times, he is referred to as a champion, but I don't believe it's ever actually said which one he is, if he's Kanto's champion or Jota's champion. Not actually sure. And again, one thing the anime has not entirely cleared up is, do Kanto and Jota share their champion and or Elite Four members? In the anime, they do have clear and separate gym systems. Johto's badges do not count for Kanto's. Kanto's badges do not count for Johto. And while it seems that the Indigo Plateau and the Mount Silver are very, very close together, close enough that both might use Victory Road, the two tournaments were held in different places, which implies to me that both are different, but again, we're not sure. That is, again, one of the things about Johto and Kanto that made Hoenn such a big thing, was that Johto and Kanto are so close together and so intertwined that you almost can't separate them at some points. And it's why every region after this, every generation, but the original series, the OS, actually encompasses Johto, Kanto, and Orange Islands. They're just that super connected. So so basically my thoughts are, while it would be a little weird and complicated to have Lance be the Elite Four in one region and the champion of another, I don't really see a problem with it. Or if he were the champion of both regions. Because the champions are shown to have kind of a wide range of duties and responsibilities. And also free time to go run and get ice cream. It's not like they wait in some hall for a trainer to just show up. When they're challenged for their title, it's, like I said, it's a formal challenge. It has to be scheduled ahead of time so the news crew can show up. And even if that situation, that challenge, does have something specifically to do with the championship tournaments, like the Silver Conference, it's not like the champions don't know when that is, you know? So basically, all the champion really needs to do is to be able to be contacted, to have like a cell phone and a calendar, and then just fly back to wherever they need to go so that the challenge can take place, which is basically what Cynthia did in Sinnoh. And whatever the system is for challenging the Elite Four is probably the same as I answered in the blog, or else thousands of challengers would have been out of luck for all those months that Agatha was running Giovanni's gym. I also said, like, by that same logic, if Lance wanted to, like, just challenge every region's champion and take all their titles and be, like, uber champion, like, I don't think there is a legal problem with that. I, I think it's really just a matter of scheduling. With some of the other questions, like, about Will and Karen and Koga, Again, for me, it comes down to if the internal logic of the games contradicts anything that we have seen in the anime, then throw it out. Because the games 
have their own world and their own rules and they don't necessarily apply. Um, because in the games, it's concrete. Ingo and Johto do have one single champion and one Elite Four and eight badges from either region allow them to challenge the Elite Four and thus the champion. Obviously, this is not true in the anime. The anime has its own rules. So that opens up a lot of possibilities, like if Lorelai, Bruno, and Agatha are the Elite Four for Kanto, then yeah, there's plenty of room for Will and Karen to be the Elite Four over in Johto. And then the other thing that's very important to remember about the games is that Red and Blue and Gold and Silver are a couple years apart. And in fact, the timeline of the Pokemon games could be its own special episode that would have to be done by someone much smarter than me. The good people over at Bouncing Waylord tried to explain it to me once and I like just about died. It's so complicated. But like Gold and Silver is set a couple years after Red and Blue, which is why you meet Red and he's like just become this hermit in the caves. But then the Hoenn games are pretty much running at the same time as Red and Blue. But yeah, like there's nothing to discount the possibility that Will and Karen aren't in the Elite Four now, but could be in the future. Or that Koga will never be able to be in the Elite Four. Just as there is nothing to discount the idea that none of those people are in the Elite Four now. And in fact, in five years, we might come back to Kanto and there'll be four people we've never heard of who are the new Elite Four members. Like one of these days, Agatha is going to retire. Or somebody's going to go off into Mount Silver and commune with Pokemon or just flat out get beat by a challenger and lose their job. I don't know. A lot can change. Unfortunately, unless we have another Battle Frontier type situation where Ash comes back to Kanto and does something of significance, I don't think that question is ever going to be answered. Because until Ash has a reason to walk by the Elite Four members and, and answer this question for us, like, I just don't see much reason for them to show that in the anime right now. While Ash is still doing his travel around to new regions and collect badges part of his journey. He just doesn't have much reason to spend time with Kanto Elite Four members. And unless they can find a way to bring that into the story... Which they could. They got Lance into Advanced Generation, after all. But, like, unless they can come up with a good story reason for it, I don't. I just don't see it happening. It's like Ash's dad. If there's not a story reason for it, it's never going to happen. And so far, nothing. But as I've always said, Ash finally winning a League Championship tournament does not at all mean the series has to end. For the exact reason that we don't understand the Elite Four and the champion and that system of hierarchy super well. All we know is that winning the tournament does not by default make you the champion, which means Ash could go on this whole season-long adventure of preparing to challenge the Elite Four, if that's what winning the championship gives him, or having any number of higher-level training goals as someone who has beat a league tournament and maybe does not anymore feel the need 
to enter more. If the anime ever went down that route, like Ash having won a league, I can see him brushing shoulders with a lot more champions and Elite Four members, and maybe being able to be in situations where these questions get answered, and maybe being able to go back to Kanto, and we'll see if Will and Karen have managed to make it into the Elite Four, or if Koga has ceded his gym to Aya and now he's in the Elite Four. Like, I do think it's possible, I just don't think it's likely that we'll see that answer on screen anytime soon. And until we do, like, Will and Karen's status is kind of like Schrodinger's Pokemon trainer. They both are and are not in the Elite Four until somebody finally writes that episode. So in my head, like, Will and Karen totally do exist in the Pokemon anime. They just, they might not be Elite Four members yet. They might still just be super awesome trainers out training their Pokemon. And if they showed up somewhere as Elite Four members or otherwise, that would be one heck of a cameo. And I do wish the Pokemon anime would pull stuff like that more often. Like, in crowd scenes and stuff like that, just have random people you meet in the games that, you know, never show up in the anime because they don't have a reason to, but they've started doing that a lot more lately with, like, the various breeders and ace trainers and stuff like that, but I'd, I'd like them to go a little further. It is one way that, like, Kanto and Johto have suffered in that much of the world building in the anime didn't take place until pretty much right now, <laughs> in this last tail end of Master Quest, the Silver Conference. Because in the games, like, you know, they set out, this is how the world works for the first game, and every game since has pretty much been a continuation of that, occasionally deviating a little. But it's had its inner world structure figured out since the beginning. The Pokemon anime has always been, yeah, it's based on the games, but it's also kind of its own thing. And remember, because of that, Kanto region, anarchy, pure anarchy. Some of the most energetic and creative writing, and also some of the worst writing you've ever seen. And it was beautiful, and I loved it. But like, Kanto League, its world building, it did not have its act together. How many gyms are in Kanto? Too many. It didn't really know what it was doing, and it didn't have to, because the world only had to be the size of a pinhead. They weren't going to be going any longer than it took for Ash to fight in the Indigo Plateau. And when they realized they could go for more seasons, like Orange Islands can do whatever it wants. Then Gold and Silver released, and Johto, the region to the west. More gyms to challenge, but it's still basically the same thing. Because again, Johto and Kanto, really super intertwined. But Johto is where they start making efforts to be like, okay, how does this work? What are the rules? Because we should probably have them if this is going to go forever. And now, wrapping up Johto League and going into Advanced Generation, the writing so strongly says, yes, this is how the world works. And I love that. It doesn't answer all the questions, but everything going forward has a, a clear logic to it. When talking about the official side of like how Pokemon training works. But this is all going forward. They never go back and look at Kanto and the mess that was. At least not much. Like Nurse Joy and the PIA go back and clean up some of that gym debacle. But there's still a lot of questions. And one of them is like Kanto and Johto 
who's the champion and elite four of each region do they share one are they two separate and distinct sets and do some of them cross over anyway like that's a question i really want answered is lance the champion of both regions because johto and kanto both have the same and they share it or is he the champion of both regions because he beat the champion in each region and now he just holds dual responsibility and do some of the elite four members have the same thing like i decided i wanted to be a member of the elite four in kanto and then i also just went over to johto and beat that guy's butt into the ground so i could take his job <laughs> like these are questions i want answered and maybe that ultimately is ash's dream because while that almost seems like too much like work and paperwork responsibility for him to be truly happy it is a beautifully bizarre idea to think of him going around from region to region and just beating every single champion until he is the only champion in the world <laughs> and being like yes this is proof i am the pokemon master and all the other trainers being like well what did we do because even if we beat him as champion in one region he's still the champion like 27 others this would be beautiful I want it to happen. It probably never will, and that's why we have fan fiction. Uh, but moving on, the tournament ends, the torch is extinguished, the crowds go home, and nobody wants to buy Team Rocket's commemorative pins, which is a real problem because the bill collectors have come a calling. Team Rocket locks themselves in their new store and decides what to do. Well, they're Team Rocket, so when it comes to bills and debt, they tend to just run for the hills. And they can. They designed their new store to be also a giant mecha robot. Because they're Team Rocket. Never say these guys don't plan ahead. And the bill collectors are like, what? The are we living in a Sentai show? They're forced to flee. And Team Rocket can make a getaway. At least until they run into the twerks. All the kids pause at a fork in the road to say their final goodbyes. Uh, Gary plans to circle the mountain before heading back to Pallet Town. Harrison plans to visit the Indigo Plateau, which, yeah, map-wise, is actually pretty close. Ash and company are going to stop in Viridian City on their way back to Pallet Town. And given how long it took to get from Newbark Town up to Mount Silver, like, this is a huge time cut the anime's about to take the journey home. But cutting into the goodbyes, Team Rocket, they're back to themselves, giant robots and all. And for the first time in like a week, they do their motto and nothing has ever felt more right. And they maybe go a little overboard with that feeling because they start firing actual rockets at the twerps. And once Ash gets hit, they, they send a net after Pikachu. And Pikachu doesn't have time to get away. But Gary steps up, throws out Blastoise to break the net, saves Pikachu... And then Harrison can set out Blaziken, who uses Flamethrower on Team Rocket. And then Ash and Pikachu can send Team Rocket blasting off. So many hero points in this scene, I love it. Anyway, after that interlude, Harrison's still not sure what to make of it. We can really say goodbye. Ash and Gary, they really do wish each other the best and want the other to succeed in all their respective battles and discoveries. And even if they're in different fields now, they're still competitors. And then Brock and Misty say they can't wait to read about Gary's research. All he discovers, the papers he'll someday publish, 
they're looking forward to it. And that's when I broke. Because these guys are not just Ash's friends anymore. They're his friends too. And it's not, we have to care about you because we're Ash's friends and you also know him. They really care about Gary and what he's doing with his life just because he's Gary. These are the first friends Gary has had since Ash, since starting his journey. He has real friends now out in the world caring about him and people he cares about that aren't poisoned by his need to feel superior to them. Like, we have come full circle and I am so happy. That's so sweet and touching. And now that we've come to the end of the episode, let's talk about points. We've hit the last episode for Fantasy Pokemon League, and we have some random events to flip for. Remember, uh, these random events are double or nothing, so every coin flip is worth two points. So Wobbuffet has two popping out of his Pokeball moments, and then there is one appearance of Mr. Goodshow. So flipping for Wobbuffet's first appearance, it is Tails to Logan, two points for you. Flipping for Mr. Goodshow. It is Heads for Evan. Two points for you. And for Wobbuffet's second appearance. Heads again. Evan. That's four. Okay, and now for the drafted attacks. This episode is so full of points. It makes me so happy. People everywhere doing stuff. Uh, for Evan... Attack points, Blaze can use Blaze Kick once in the battle. In the Battle of Ash versus Harrison, Harrison got his appearance point in the previous episode, and it was pointed out to me that I forgot to give Blaziken its victory point for the battle between Ash and Harrison because it it actually beat Bayleaf. I was so focused on its match with Charizard that I kind of forgot that. So I've updated that on the Facebook, so Evan actually starts out this episode at 21 points, not 20. That does mean, though, Blaziken got its victory point in the previous episode. So the match with Charizard is now kind of irrelevant. Um, but they do win the overall battle, so that is a victory point for Harrison. Harrison also goes on to fight that battle against John Dixon. Houndoom appears in the battle with him, so that's two more points right there. It is a total of three battle points. And then come hero points. Uh, first, Harrison helped save the Mistrevis, so one there. And then helped save everybody against Team Rocket, battling bad guys. Harrison and Blaziken both showed up doing stuff there. So a total of three hero points. And then finally, Team Rocket motto. So an event point. Maxing out the entire draft. Uh, totals up to totals up to eight points plus the four you got from random. So twelve points in a single episode. That is a record, friend. On Logan's side, uh, being that Ash got his appearance point for the battle with Harrison um, in the previous episode, there are no battle points to give out. There were, however, two incidences of dragon rage, so you get two of your attack points. For hero points, Ash and Gary help the Mistrevis, and then Gary saves Pikachu while Ash fights Team Rocket. So that's two hero points for each of those boys. 
And then we have a handshake by the sunset. Sunset goodbyes and, like, Moonlit talks about existentialism and friendship. Like, those should have also been, like, event points, I think. They just happened so often this week. But anyway, all of Logan's attacks add up to seven, and he gets his two random points for a total of nine. Which brings the final total to Evan 33, Logan 48. If I have made any mistakes tallying up the points or, like, forgotten something, uh, do write in and tell me ASAP, because it has happened twice already. Logan, you are the winner. Send me an email with your address, and I will mail you your prize. But you, Evan, you should also send an email uh, to pcappypodcast at gmail.com. Tell me your address. I'd like to send you something for second place. Because both of you, you know, were really such good sports. And I want to thank you both for playing and keeping a close eye on the points. Um, it was my first time doing something like this on the show. And I know it was a little rough, and we didn't get as many players as we could have, which, you know, made the drafting a little rocky. But it was a lot of fun for me, at, at least. Um, and I figured out a lot of bugs and how I could make it better. I, I'd like to do something like this again in a couple years when we get to the Hoenn tourney and, and smooth things out a bit. Like, maybe give the battle points to Pokemon every time they knock out an opponent and cause it to faint. That eliminates the issue I had with all of Ash and Gary's switching and, like, how do I score this? And better random points. Like, Ash never turned his hat backwards. That was a waste. How do we know you mean business, Ash, if you don't give us the visual cue? That's the real reason he lost. He didn't turn his hat backwards. But even so, like, thank you. Thank you for playing and indulging me and helping me make this last Pokemon League and Marathon just a little bit special. To close out the region, it was so fun. So both of you, send send me an email, pcappypodcast at gmail.com with your addresses. I will, I will send you both your prizes. I cannot guarantee that they will get to you in time for Christmas because of, it, you know, we're in holiday season, shipping. But I'll get them both sent out as soon as possible. Uh, but we got an episode or two before we're completely out of Johto, though, so hang on. I'll be back tomorrow with more Pokemon. As always, you can find our blog at peekappypodcast.blogspot.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter, also on iTunes, Zune, and any other service that tracks RSS feeds. You can send any comments on this episode and the Elite Four and Champions and how that all works to pcappypodcast at gmail.com. And most of all, thank you for listening. This has been Pcappy Podcast. Gotta catch them all. <laughs>